Good morning and welcome to Jumpers for Goalposts World Review, the show that takes an in-depth look at the goings-on in European football and across the globe. Like the pastry, that was dangerous. And I, I, I liked Andy's super hero poser. I'm your host Colin Stone and this is the show which basically looks at everything going on in European football and I'm joined as ever by Peter McVitie and Andy Ferguson. I've decided to skip the intros from now on because I realise, you know, in my increasing maturity and modesty that they're just not funny or worth anything. Or your ego is getting so big that you don't want to introduce anybody properly anymore, is that about it? No, well, no. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, how, how are you both doing today? Superb. Superb. I'm all right. Thanks for even bothering to ask. I thought I, I was speaking on behalf of the two of us. I do care for my fellow pundits. Now, right. Coming up on the show, we have Hoffenheim, managerless Twente and Salvatore Siragu. But first we go to El Clasico. Now, Real Madrid recorded their second win over Barcelona in five days with a 2-1 win at the Bernabeu in La Liga. Barcelona have not really looked the same side that they have done in recent months and this is the first time since May 2008 that they lost three times in four games. What on earth has happened to them? Well, if they weren't holding such a big lead over at the top of the, the table then people would be saying it's a crisis. Uh, it's it's incredible what's happened. 13 games have gone conceding in every single one of them. They were very poor against uh, Real Madrid. It was a, Overall, it was, a, it was a poor game. They claimed that they should have had a penalty in the dying minutes but I mean that just masks that can only mask the problems because they were toothless, they only had I think two shots in target in the entire game and it's it. We said I said last week that the the cup, the Copa Classico was key for Real Madrid um, as it started off a, an important week for them but now Barcelona have, have lost these three games in a row and they're, they're heading into the, the game against AC Milan next week and that's massively important because they're, they're two goals behind if they concede another one and that then they've got to win 4-1 um, and it's it's looking really really hard it, there's no signs that they're, they're going to get through this it's very troublesome they really miss Tito Villanova it's it's horrible to see that he's he's still suffering from, from cancer and it, they just need him back as soon as they can because Jordi Rauer is in a position where he never ever wanted to be in. Well, you you raise an interesting point there. You would you would have thought that perhaps a team of Barcelona's quality would be able to continue the system that they've been playing without Villanova, but perhaps this recent form shows otherwise that he's actually really crucial to how the team play. Oh, I think that's uh, totally acceptable. Yeah, I think that uh, Villanova is obviously integral to everything that's going on at Barca, and without him, as Pete said, it's been a massive effect on the team. Um, Jordi Rorda, he's obviously, as Pete said, ended up in a position that he didn't want to be in, and obviously I think that's affecting the team. They don't have Evelyn over there to guide them on the sidelines as he was there when Pep was there too, so he's been important for them over such a long period of time. Um, I think that it's a bad situation for everyone, and obviously we can only hope that Villanova gets better and then that Barcelona can hope that he can come back and start coaching again mm-hmm. soon. Well, I think Messi had one of his poorest games in recent memory against Real Madrid in the last two fixtures. What has been what have Real Madrid been doing to basically shut him out? They haven't given him any space. It's the, the way AC Milan did it as well in the Champions League was, was very interesting. They just block them out. They don't give them any space in, in the key areas and it really makes it difficult for a player who who is so integral to the team. And I think it shows how it does show how important Lionel Messi is to this Barcelona team. If he doesn't play well, then they're essentially toothless. And when you saw it against Sevilla uh, a couple of weeks ago, the key thing was they were, I think they were trailing, uh, up until they moved David Villa into the centre, 
uh, of the box, and that's when he was in the the key number nine uh, positions to to get on the end of attacks. And when when they need more like that, when Lionel Messi isn't playing well, they need something there to alter the system, to alter the style in terms of attacks, and and really make it more difficult for defenders. But it it doesn't happen enough at Barcelona. As for Real Madrid, we were talking last week about how these two games were crucial and how they were going to prepare for their Champions League fixture tonight. How do you think they'll be feeling? coming into tonight's game at Old Trafford? Well, I think it's a massive confidence boost. I mean, they, they didn't play badly against Manchester United in the first leg. They actually did well. And then, obviously, the two results against Barcelona are going to stand them in good stead to go out there um, against Manchester United and put in a, 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 hopefully, for their sake, a tremendous performance. Um, I think that, obviously, there's been a lot of problems going on at Real Madrid this season. And they've now closed the gap on Atletico Madrid a little bit in the league as well. Um, going into this game, hopefully uh, that's the the problems behind them and they can concentrate on performing well towards the end of the season. Elsewhere in La Liga, Sevilla beat Celta Vigo 4-1 with a hat-trick from Alvaro Negredo, boosting their chances of a return to Europe. Are we on GFG a fan of Negredo? I've liked him. I've liked him for a few years. I, before, I didn't think he scored um, consistently enough, but over the past few seasons, he's started to hit the back of the net regularly. I think he's turning into one of Spain's best strikers. Does he have a future in the Spanish national team, despite a solid group of Spanish forwards at the moment? Well, I felt really, yeah, I felt really sorry for him when he was overlooked for the Euros. Um, obviously, he was performing so well at that point, whereas players like Torres, um, who was called ahead of him, were absolutely dire in the English Premier League. Um, same with, goes for players like Soldado. So you'd like to think that these players would be given a shout considering Torres's poor form, but um, I think that it's unlikely to happen. Obviously, you can't blame Del Bosque for doing so because Torres was the highest scorer in the competition. That's true. Only because he had an assist, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Now, Real Sociedad and Real Batiste drew 3 all on a battle of 6th versus 7th. At the start of the season, would you have predicted that either of these two would be battling for a Champions League position? Not at all. I uh, didn't hear who you said. Real Sociedad and Real Batiste. <laughs> oh, definitely not, definitely not. Batiste, they had a, a good start to last season and a really, really good start to this season as well. And then they, they fell away, so you were expecting it this to happen again this time. But no, they're, they're doing really well. Sociedad, fantastic. It's amazing how they've completely swapped places with their rivals, Bilbao, from last season. And now they're... They're fighting really hard and doing well. Um, Sociedad have invested uh, very wisely in their squad as well. I mean, bringing in uh, Carlos Vela has been a tremendous signing. I was reading reports yesterday that there was talk of Arsenal wanting to sign him back because apparently there's some sort of deal that they can sign him for €1 million more than what they sold him for. Um, Whether he would go back or not, I don't know. I think it would be crazy for him to go back now um, considering that players like Gervinho and Shamak were um, ahead of him in the starting lineup. Um, they also brought in Castro from Mallorca, who's been an excellent signing, the, the Uruguayan sort of winger striker. And they've just got great young players over the, the course of the, the whole of the pitch. Even Antoine Griezmann, the Frenchman, mm-hmm. he's an excellent young player too. So it's it's exciting times for Sociedad and I'm, I'm quite happy to see them performing well in the league. Now at the wrong end of the table, Deportivo La Coruña drew nil all with Rayo Vallecano and looked destined for the drop. They could be this season's Villarreal, a really big side who are destined for the Liga Segunda. Who else is in danger of joining them? Zaragoza, obviously. Would you be sad to see them go? Um, yeah, well, to a certain extent, because last season they were rooted to the bottom of the table and then in the last couple of weeks, they, well, 
the second half of the season they really fought back and were playing well over the, the entire second half of it and and fought back and, and really saved themselves in the last the last week the last couple of weeks so this season it, it's been totally different they started off okay and then they've completely died so I wouldn't be as sad as I would have been last season had they got relegated but it's still kind of sad to see Zaragoza going down well it looks like it could be a real tragedy if Zaragoza go down now it's time to go over to League A where sub David Beckham could not rescue PSG from an embarrassing 1-0 loss to 10-man Reims which leaves the gap at just two points at the top of the league table now PSG that's their second League 1 loss in three games what do you put that horrible result down to at the weekend, Andy? Uh, I thought uh, Stade de Rennes were very resilient, actually. Um, they played um, for the last half an hour just down to 10 men after uh, Christopher Glombard was sent off. And uh, I think it's a matter of PSG's big players not performing as well. Um, I think Ibrahimovic hasn't been quite so good since the, the turn of the year. Um, obviously, I don't think Lovetsy has been great. He's starting to score a bit, but he missed a few absolutely brilliant chances in the game against Stade de Reim. And I, I don't understand why he's getting picked ahead of players like Menes, um, who's far more productive in that lineup. Um, so there's problems all over the place for PSG right now. They had a, they rested a few players, obviously looking ahead to the Valencia game as well. Um, Beckham's come in and the, the spotlight's been on him, but he really hasn't been able to do much in, in the limited time that he's been playing, even though a lot is probably expected of him. Um, so yeah, I think as well as that, there's a lot of pressure on Ancelotti, um, although his team are top of the league, two points clear. There is a lot of growing pressure on him, then a lot of people are expecting him to uh, leave at the end of the season because of the way that the team have been performing over the past two or three months. It's not been going the way that the, the board and what Leonardo expect things to be. The, the play hasn't been all that attractive as well. So there's a lot of problems going on at PSG and although they're top of the league, it's not all rosy. Would the result have been any different if Zlatan Ibrahimovic's goal had not been ruled out early well, in the first half? It would have obviously been a draw. But, <laughs> no. yeah. Um, I, it was Come on. <laughs> sorry, Colin. Anyway, um, yeah, it, it would have obviously mattered a, a whole difference because Reem getting the man sent off afterwards it probably would have knocked their confidence further um, and PSG could have went on to win it. But again, as I said, they missed a lot of great chances. Um, the goal was ruled off when it, it shouldn't have been. It was onside just. Um, so yeah, PSG can probably count themselves unlucky in that respect. But again, against a team such as Reem who are, are newly promoted, they should be expecting to to go on and probably thump them. Gigi Buffon named Salvatore Sirigu as his successor to the Italian number one spot earlier this week. Would you agree with him? I think he's an excellent goalkeeper. I think he's very good. Um, but is he number one successor to Buffon? Is he really that good? I would say so. Um, the past few weeks, he's maybe not as been not been as in top form as he was, but he is overall a very consistent goalkeeper. He's not too flashy. Um, he likes to, to do things sort of by the book, and uh, I don't even know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> he's not too flashy. He's, he, he is, as I said, he's very consistent. Um, but he also, he, he, I could see him replacing Buffon because Buffon, he's, he's still got a few years left in him, and Sirigu's still fairly young. There are a lot of good goalkeepers in Italy, but I think Sirigu's probably amongst the, the top. Um, of the crop that are there right now. In second place, Leon couldn't take advantage of the Parisians' slip-up as they also stumbled against Brest, or stumbled on Brest. They drew (laughs) 1-1. Would you say this is a a missed opportunity for Leon to really go into the ascendancy and perhaps take top spot and then leave PSG in their their dust? 
Of course, yeah. I was surprised, um, and having watched the match, um, both chan- uh, both teams had a, a, a mass amount of chances to score and to take the win, um, which was surprising because I thought Leon would, having known that PSG had lost the night before, I thought they would have went on and taken full advantage of it, but obviously they weren't able to. Uh, Brest, similarly to <laughs> Reim, were uh, very resilient. Breast, breasts are resilient. Yes. <laughs> And uh, yeah, the, again, um, Leon missed a lot of good chances. Bafatimbi Gomez was one of the main culprits. Um, he missed an absolute sitter towards the last few minutes of the game. Uh, the main force going forward, Lissandro, he couldn't get himself on the score sheet despite trying so many times. And I think on the on the basis of it, I think a one-all draw is a fair result because uh, Brest had plenty of chances as well. <laughs> Pete. Chortling away in the corner there, but to be honest, I don't really blame Leon as I often stumble when I see Brest. Now, we talked a wee bit last week, sorry, Pete's gone. We talked last week about um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang very briefly, but today I'd like to talk a wee bit more about Sanetti and the team. They thrashed Neat 4-0 at the weekend to move into the Champions League spot. Uh, how impressed have you been with Sanetti? Uh, they are... Oh, yeah. <laughs> No, I, I've been very impressed with them this season. They are uh, so good to watch, so pleasing on the eye. And the the signings that Galtier has made this season, he has transformed that side. Um, at the weekend, uh, Saint-Étienne and Nice going into that match were the two most consistent sides in Ligue 1. And Saint-Étienne continued to steamroll uh, their way up towards the, the top of the table again. Um, they're only seven points behind PSG now, which is encouraging for the league and encouraging for them. But again, there was a few um, negative points from the game, particularly with the injury to uh, Jeremy Clement. Uh, For, he, former Rangers legend. Former Rangers legend, yep. Um, he is out, sadly, for the rest of the season because uh, Valentin Eserak uh, went over the top and he ended up fracturing his ankle and fibula. Um, his ankle was basically at a right angle and it wasn't pleasant to see. Um, so what what is... Good about it though is that a lot of the teams in France have come out and shown their support for Clement and uh, Eserac has tried his best to contact uh, Clement and apologise for it. He tried to get his phone number. He said he was going to visit him in the hospital as well. And last night there was a, a tweet by Clement's agent saying that um, he doesn't hold him responsible for it and he hopes that the punishment um, isn't actually too severe for him. Uh, so that's quite refreshing to see despite obviously how horrible a tackle it was but focusing on the positives St Etienne have been so good uh, the partnership between Brandao and Aubameyang has been so productive uh, Brandao's got the, the most goals he's scored in a league on season this year with 9 Aubameyang Ob- uh, has got 15 and um, it's just great times for the team in green great times indeed now whenever, whenever Andy talks about league on we're guaranteed three things one, he's going to criticise Lovetsy and say he's not good enough for PSG. <laughs> Two, he's going to criticise Barthelotimi Gomez because he's got an agenda against him. And three, he's going to celebrate San Etienne as the greatest team in the history of the world. Well, and I think they're all valid points. <laughs> and every time Pete talks about Holland, we hear how Ajax are the greatest side in the world, Never. Victor Fischer is the most beautiful man in the world, oh, and right. Christian Eriksen is a close second. So now and we true. go on to Montpellier, whose coach René Girard seems to be leaving the club after failing to agree a contract extension. His side are in contention for the Champions League place once again with a 
2-0 win over Wren. Would you see this as a, maybe a, a time for Girard to move on? Well, after last season's successes, the way that the team started this season um, was down to a lot of things, and I don't think Girard helped it. But I don't think Nicolan, uh, the president, was very sympathetic in his handling of uh, announcing that Girard wasn't going to stay on. He basically said, I decide the contract, and we've decided no. So, yeah. It's kind of Nicolan's style, though. Yeah. He is. Apparently, though, from those close to the club, he is a nice guy on a day to day basis, but he's just an absolute monster in the press. I'm surprised so. he didn't say Gerard's to stab himself in the ass with a sausage. <laughs> <laughs> wow. As he's done a few times about the presidents of Marseille. Probably the best PSG. quote I've ever heard from a chairman. Now it's time to go on to the Serie A, <laughs> where the top of the table clash between Juventus and Napoli ended with a one all draw on Friday. Does this all but end Napoli's hopes of a Serie A? title <clears throat> yes um, they're done UV have got a six point lead head to head results come into it when teams are level so there's no chance that Juventus so I've had the rough patches this season probably could have had the game wrapped up midway through the first half because they were, they were totally dominant uh, but then they didn't take their chances Napoli came out in the second half and looked much better dealt with Andrea Pirlo Cavani had a few shots but couldn't beat Buffon even though he shouldn't even have been on the park for his elbow and Jorginho Chiellini um, but yeah it's uh, the title race is over Juventus have won it all, all that's left to play for is the rest but you've mentioned Juve's they had, they had a wee bit of a struggle in January and they've lacked a wee bit of a cutting edge recently in the league surely that could come back to haunt them um, in future games well we, we saw the same thing last season though when they, they let slip their lead run out at this point to, to AC Milan and they still, they still won the league um, Napoli are so ridiculously inconsistent. Edinson Cavani hasn't scored in seven games. Um, you've, you've torn the poster off the wall, haven't you? Uh, yeah, well, not not quite yet. I mean, I nearly did when I saw um, Elbow Chiellini because I thought that's just so un-Cavani. But Chiellini, <laughs> I burnt the shirt. That's Chiellini <laughs> did pull his hair at a corner, so you can't really blame him. And yeah. they did they did hug. They did hug and shake hands at the end. That was wonderful. But um, didn't, Napoli didn't, didn't like grab him by the shirt, Jermaine Len style. No, no, not quite yet. Not, <laughs> not, not that yet. We, not that we saw. But um, Napoli are so without when Cavani isn't scoring. Napoli are so quite toothless in attack, and they really in the second based on their second half performance at one each, they really should have done enough to to go on and take the three points from this game after uh, Inler's speech of a of a goal speech uh, with the with the help of a deflection. So. Um, no, Juventus have, have got enough to keep going and, and they'll do enough to, to win it while battling the Champions League as well. If they have the Serie A title in the bank, is the Champions League a realistic possibility? Well, of course, I think so. Um, I said earlier on this season, and I've said it um, quite a lot on this podcast, that their strength and depth is unbelievable. Far better than um, a lot of the sides still in the Champions League this year. So I, I can see them challenging for that. They've got a healthy gap in the league and they've got enough going to compete on two fronts, which is superb for them. So I, I can see them challenging. Elsewhere in Serie A over the weekend, Inter Milan came from 2-0 down to beat Catania 3-2 with a goal from Alvarez and a double from Palacio. Now I mentioned last week how Inter have really been changing the guard lately with a lot more young players coming in to replace the veteran world-class players that they did have. Would you say that this team has the potential to be as good as, say, Inter circa 2009? Not the current team, I don't think. No, um, but they, they still have, scathing. <clears throat> they still have a lot of problems, though. I mean, Rocky was a centre forward on Sunday, and he was really poor, um, really, really poor. And they don't have really good cover for 
for Diego Melito other than Rocky himself, who they were trying to bring in John Carew. And that fell through. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> Which would be a good thing. Yeah, probably. Yes. I think so. I mean, I was utterly flabbergasted when I heard that they were trying to sign him. So he's too unfit. Uh, Rocky, as I say, he started and he didn't really offer much at all. I was quite disappointed to see Catania lose because I like seeing Catania win under Montello. But no, I don't think. I think this team has a lot of potential, yeah. And, but <clears throat> there has to be a lot of improvements made. Uh, between now and over the next couple of years before they'll be a fantastic team. To be honest though, I mean, I'm not surprised that Rocky didn't do so well. I mean, he has had five self-titled films he had to film. Oh Andy? <laughs> I think that the, the main problem with uh, Inter Milan has been the thing that's plagued them for many, many years other than when they, they gained the success under uh, Mancini and Mourinho. Um, they have always had a massive squad, but they've got a, a sort of set player, a set of players starting lineup that are very good and then after that there isn't much to offer um, they've got so many players that are probably considered fringe players that come in and just aren't of the same calibre of the starting lineup. I mean I would compare Rocky who I think used to be an excellent striker, he's getting on a bit now you bring him in as a replacement for Molito and I don't think they're the same class I think obviously Palacio and Cassano are good players but then after that there's nobody really uh, no, no other players there really to fill that void if they were to get injured um, bringing in Caro would have been crazy as Pete said um, but then you look across the midfield as well like they've lost so much talent over the past few years and who have they brought in I mean we were talking last week about Shalotto who I think is a good player but that's another player that's coming in to play in a position there's already three or four players there like Nagatomo's there albeit mm-hmm. he's injured now Zanetti's there um, they've got uh, Mycon who can also play there um, the, no. the, the newer Mycon not the one that went to Manchester oh, yeah. City there's um, there's so many players in that squad and I, I don't understand why think how much of a worse position they would be in if it wasn't for Zanetti he's just a, oh, I just cannot get enough of watching him play just, I, just never stops so we, should we add him to your list of Italian players you have a crush on it's sad as it uh, sounds yeah, we, we talk he's about him all the, the list, time I think. We yeah. talk about him all the time and just, yeah, I think we've got two fanboy crushes on... He's, a, he's ahead of Giovinco, really? Well, Giovinco is atop of the adorable wee bugger list. <laughs> um, but Zanetti's atop of the just Fair outright monster hero type ultra beast. Who else is on your, <laughs> but, uh, uh, who else is on your admiral wee bugger list? Adorable wee buggers. Adorable. We've got Giovinco. We've got uh, Mikali. We've got Adam Maher, obviously. Because uh, Adam Maher, uh, as Ed, has got this weird, weird, weird talent. It's like every time you see him, he looks younger than he was the last time you see him. I, I'm, I'm, not co- I'm not kidding. This show has uh, gone on a b- ridiculously bizarre Diego, tangent. Uh, Diego Buonanotte oh, yeah. of uh, Malaga. He's on that list as well. He is Obviously. We should publish my. At the end of the season, we will. Adorable it seems that Inter Milan up front are stuck between a rocky and a hard place. <laughs> now. Elsewhere in the league, Roma comfortably beat Genoa 3-1 with a goal from Pete's favourite, Borriello. Uh, how have Roma changed since the sacking of Zeman a couple of weeks ago? Well, the Andy and I were talking all the way through the game and we both said that they looked a lot more balanced, a lot more defensively secure, and that was evident from their very first game post uh, Zeman Landia. It's incredible how they've come along over the last two over the last two or three years. Obviously, Luis Enrique introduced the, the wonderful entertaining style via Barcelona Zeman came in and made them a lot more direct and a lot more uh, threatening going forward but the attacking, the defensive security was gone, Andrea, Andrea Zoli he's come in and he's made them probably just as 
good going forward, but m- more defensively secure. Uh, so the the development is there. It might if it continues, it might be worth keeping on for the for a long term uh, period. But I think mainly is that they look a lot more balanced and and secure than previous throughout this season. I think Roma has had the record; they had the highest uh, scoring total in the league, but also the highest conceded. Andy, how do Roma go on from here? They've obviously got that balance now, as as Pete said, and. At times, though, it still looked like there was the element of Zeman there. Like, De Rossi was bombing forward. He was playing as a winger at one point in, in uh, the setup for the penalty. And that's good that they've got that balance now because, yes, they are still conceding, but it's not like they went 3-1 up and then could lose 4-3. There is a stability there. Um, I think Roma now should look towards um, getting make it, securing the uh, Euro- European football for next season. Um, because they're in a good position now, but there's a lot of teams around about them. Um, I think the job that Andrea Zoli's done since he's come in has been phenomenal, um, just managing to uh, secure where they are and make sure that they don't go into free fall. And I think that, obviously, with players like Totti and Lamela, De Rossi, um, I think they can push on and probably hope to try and secure a Champions League, but I think Europa League will probably be more realistic. It's amazing how much Eric Lamela adds to the team. He's just... Incredible, okay, and he's so he's, young. He's also on the adorable wee buggers list. Well, too tall, plus he's not really <laughs> adorable, he's just a good player. Now, a huge game in the race for the Champions League place where AC Milan showed their quality with a 3-0 demolition of Lazio. Had they started the season better, I mean, remember, we covered their horrible, horrible start to the year. Could we have had a really, really close title race this time This time round? Who was that? I wasn't listening. Who? AC. Oh, yeah, well, they've turned it around amazingly. I mean, we were... We, we, we pretty much wrote them off. Yeah, we attacked them pretty much from the, the early stages. We attacked of, them like of, uh, yeah, of the, the, uh, the season. But now, I mean, <clears throat> they really have turned it around amazingly. And it, it, is, it is great to see. I mean, what they've done in the Champions League has been brilliant. Obviously, beating Barcelona 2-0. But their league form is, has been incredible. Um, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's a good place to move on to the Bundesliga where the gap at the top remained at 17 points as Bayern Munich beat Hoffenheim with a goal from Mario Gomez Borussia Dortmund's off Hanover with a double from Robert Lewandowski and Leverkusen won against Stuttgart now the biggest talk over the past few days however has been Lewandowski's potential move to Bayern Munich what are your thoughts on this Andy? I don't really understand why Like, obviously Lewandowski is a tremendous striker but when Bayern Munich have got Gomez and they've got Mandzukic, who's been firing on all cylinders this season, why would you want to bring in another third striker into that mix when your formation currently consists of one striker? Obviously, Pep Guardiola is going to come in and um, there's a chance that he'll shake up that formation. He probably will. But the way that Bayern are, are set up at the moment, with the amount of midfielders that they've got, dropping one of them isn't really possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't really see where Lewandowski could fit in if they were going to keep both Gomez and Mandzukic as well. Especially when he talks about Pep Guardiola. If he comes in and people say he's going to introduce the same system that he did at Barcelona, which I don't think he will, but even if he does, I mean, a big part of that is playing with a a false nine. So the the three strikers, if they bring in Lewandowski, are going to be rendered useless, essentially. Now, how will Bayern be feeling for their Champions League game against Arsenal next week? Very confident. Oh, yeah, I mean... How many do you think they could score? Of as many as they want. Um, as far as I was concerned, the tie was over as soon as the the ball had been picked out of the the tub and it said Bayern Munich versus Arsenal. I've got to be honest. Um, they're f- 
the informed team in European football. I think they've what they've won ten games in a row now. They beat Hoffenheim. They didn't even do it well. I mean, they were really they were they played well. They were worthy of the win, but they weren't exactly convincing. It was a tough um, match. Hoffenheim were very strong in that game. They they showed some good resilience, and they they were unlucky not to get something out of it. Well, so. talking of Hoffenheim, they've lost again and are eleven points from safety. Is Detmar Hopp's dream all but over? No. You would think not. I mean, they've got a good squad. Um, I think that the the players they've got on shore are capable of making the club survive. But obviously they've not been performing at all well this season and really haven't done that well for the past couple of years. So it's kind of easy to have seen this coming. Now Werder Bremen lost 1-0 at home to Augsburg, keeping them just a point ahead of Wolfsburg, who themselves are one place above the relegation zone. Thomas Schaff has served at the Visor Stadion for 14 years. Is it now time for him to go? I think he's kind of... The, the manager in the Bundesliga that's sort of suffering from Arsene Wenger syndrome. Just about to say that. Yeah, because, I mean, he's obviously been there for so long and it's got to the stage now where things aren't really working for him. So, obviously, people are going to call for his head. And it's unfortunate because you look at the amount of good things that he's done for the club. He's, he's been there for so long. And even at that, Werder Bremen, as we have said at the very beginning of the season or since the beginning of the season, are going through a transitional period right now. They've lost so much quality in that squad and they've tried to replace it with a lot of young players and some of them have done really well. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, um, the main example of that, but he's only in on loan. Gabriel Selassie's been excellent as well. He has Mm -hmm. been very good, yeah. Um, And again, it's just a shame to see such a good side sort of falling down the league table. Personally, I hope that he doesn't leave or doesn't get sacked because I still think he's got a lot to offer. It's been very difficult for him, though, as Andy says, he has lost a lot of key players over the last couple of years, but they haven't done enough to, to really change it because they lasted too long living off of Claudio Pizarro and they didn't have any contingency plan for him. I mean, when he wasn't playing, Werder Bremen lost the game, essentially, and as that happened over, what, two or three years? They won 10% of the games in which he wasn't playing, 10%. Yeah, and they, did, they didn't really do enough to, to change it and change the style and bring in enough backup for him uh, when he was there. So, I mean, once they lost him uh, to Bayern in the summer, it was pretty evident that they were going to struggle, especially because they didn't... They, didn't do enough to replace him. And he's waving frenetically in the corner. Well, that's been the problem with Werder Bremen. Like they've always solved that. When they had Kosa, they replaced him. They had Pizarro, they replaced him. They had Ailton, he left. They replaced him. They haven't replaced Pizarro after he returned to the club. So I mean, Niels Peterson's come in on loan from Bayern Munich, and that's just not the same. I mean, he's he scored a few goals recently but it's not the same calibre of player. And I think that's obviously one of the main, or the main reason why Verda have been struggling. It's, this also, it's also the transition from Johan Miku to Diego to Meza Ozil to Marco Marin and now nothing. Yeah, exactly. Probably your main example there is uh, either Elia or Januzovic. And both yeah. of them haven't been consistent enough. And granted, they're good players in their own right, but they're just not the same calibre. We'll shed a metaphorical tear for Werder Bremen as we go into the Eredivisie, where Ajax beat managerless Twente two goals to nil. Who's in the running for the Twente job and how impressive were Ajax? Well, for Twente job, it looks like Schroeder, will, the, who was a, Steve McLaren's assistant, will take the job for a while until the end of the season. But there's a problem because he doesn't have the required paperwork to be a coach, so he'll get a couple of weeks and then something will have to be done. It looks like 
according to New Sport, that in the summer, Bert van Marwijk will be the new 20 coach. Hey, uh, Bert. Former Netherlands, Netherlands manager. Good old Bert. Um, which is a, a good a good move for, for 20, I think, but I think they could lose a lot of players in the summer because of what's what's going on. Ajax were on top. Uh, two centre-backs, Nicholas Moisander, scored. Now, important for Ajax is that in the last eight goals they've scored, six of them have come from defenders. That's massive. For Clearly they're Ajax. playing in the wrong position. Even Daly Blind scored. Even oh. Daly Blind <laughs> scored. Nicholas Moisander's opener was an absolute peach. 30 yards, just screamer into the top corner. And then Toby Alderweireld uh, put a header from a Christian Eriksen free kick into the net. So that was it. The, tie was ra- the game was wrapped up essentially uh, 40 minutes into the game when Alderweireld hit the back of the net. So Ajax well were on top and they deserved the win and now they are still just a few points behind PSV. Vitesse beat um, Utrecht on Friday uh, and they're still in the title running. Uh, quite interesting because it was, it was a really emotional night on uh, Friday because uh, Teo Boss had died the night before. They, he's a club legend, Mr Vitesse they call him. Uh, they had a minute silence and it, it actually his number was number, his shot number was number four and um uh, four minutes into the game, the referee, Baz Nihu, stopped the game and the fans and the players all just applauded for a whole minute and shouted about Theo Bosch because he died. During um, the game? Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's a great gesture. Game. Great gesture. I'm, I'm assuming everybody knew about this beforehand. The referee just wasn't like, hey guys, hang on. Uh, no, well, I, di- I didn't know about it. It was kind of weird. I obviously knew there was going to be a minute silence before the game and there was going to be a tribute for him. But, I mean, that was a, it, was a, it was a lovely gesture, gesture, though, for the players all to stop and just sing. I mean, Piet Velhausen was, was really because he loved him, he had a big impact on him. Theo Janssen was in the stand and he had a big, big part in the, the ceremony before it because he adored Theo Boss. He was a big, big help to him in his career. But they went on and won 3-0. Wilfred Bonus scored again with a lovely, lovely goal. Um, and now they're still in the title running. They play 20 at the weekend, uh, who are still without a win in 2013. <laughs> and if they win that, then... If Vitesse win that, then they're still on the running, obviously. Feyenoord beat Nick... Lovely, well, a good game. John Paul Boatius with a brace, 18 years old. Uh, yeah, fantastic player. Wow, Varkenod is really producing these amazing young players coming through the final team. Uh, PSV scraped, sort of, a win over VVV. Uh, 1-0 through Memphis Depay, 19 years old again. He linked up with 19-year-old Jürgen Lukadia, who had scored a hat-trick his second of the season three days before in the cup game against Zwolle. And then Mark van Bommel, of all people, blasted in a beast of a free kick from about, what, 30, 25, 30 yards uh, in the 90th minute to, to secure the win. So that's four teams all in a title race. At the bottom, it's even tighter, believe it or not. At the bottom is a remarkably tight. Roda beat Kroenigen 4-1. VVV are meh, struggling a bit. Pixvola, they beat Willem who are rooted to the bottom. So they're still, although Willem are are destined to go down, it's done, Um there's five, six teams on top of that who can get sucked into the playoff spot and, and can still go down. So it's really, really interesting to see. As Ed get beat again, Adam Maher has outgrown As Ed. He's 19 years old and he is too good for As Ed, who finished fourth the last two seasons, who were title winners a few years ago. And 19-year-old Adam Maher is only, the only reason they have not been relegated, in my view, because they've been horrible. Him and Jose Altidori have been fantastic. They dismantled Ajax and the KNVB Baker. <laughs> And it's ridiculous how much they rely, and they did so on Sunday, how much they rely on Adam Maher is just abhorrent. 
breathe. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Andy. I'm trying to work out, whilst Pete goes on about Eredivisie, whether you're happy that he answers all of your questions <laughs> in one, or whether you're furious because you can't get to hear the sound of your own voice. Well, it's a good point you raise, but to be honest, Pete, he answered all my questions terrifically well. And but as I said in an episode previous, you're like a wind-up monkey with his symbols who just keeps on walking. He's fantastic. Brilliant, fantastic. brilliant, but never-ending. <laughs> now, my thanks to Andy Ferguson. Thank you. <laughs> and to the ever-present and ever-visit Peter McVitie. Thank you well, my friend. What is <laughs> This has been an utterly <laughs> mad episode of Jumper Sugar Post World Review. I've been your host, Colin Stone. Thanks for listening. Ever-present and ever-present. <laughs> <laughs> and Farvel. I've, I have no idea where that came from. Ever-present and ever-vescent. didn't even say it right. I know. Ever-present and ever-vescent. I don't mind that. He called me a monkey. <laughs>